Microphone check, one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Talk to him. Attorney, high-performance coach, and speaker Cherie Prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick. From starting a business, marketing, strategies, and the ins and outs of their industries. We talk everything from book recommendations, lifestyle hacks, and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business. The Play Big Faster podcast starts now. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. We are joined today by the Executive Director for the Circle of Faith Foundation, Linda Daniels Fortenberry. Mrs. Fortenberry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Listen, we are pumped and excited about you explaining to us just really what you do with Circle of Faith Foundation. Circle of Faith is an outreach community development corporation, and we were started as a result of the pandemic. Well, let me share with you real briefly our little story. We began in 2020. And what happened initially was that I got sick and my husband got sick in early March with COVID. We didn't know what it was because at that time they had not labeled it as COVID. But we knew we were both sick and we were sick for six weeks. But during that time, I said, as opposed to focusing on myself, what would it look like if I focused my energy on others? What if I would get up each day and do a 12 o'clock prayer? And during that time, I said, all I'm going to do is just get up at 12 o'clock and do a live Facebook broadcast prayer. And I did. And then as I began to pray, then I began to get messages. And I said, I said, because uh, I am so obstinate, I said, I'm not going to teach. I'm just going to pray. But each day I get up, I get a message. So I end up having to give the message. I'm going, this is not what I want to do. At any rate, during that process, it occurred to me that where I grew up, I grew up in a very small town, Sicily Island, and it occurred to me that they must be really struggling because they don't have all of the different community, uh, I was called accessories or resources that most larger towns have. It's a very small town, probably about three, 400 people population, but I grew up there. So my heart went back to them because I realized that the seniors there typically had their lunch at the senior center and whatever they didn't eat for lunch, they take it home and eat it for dinner. So I thought, what's going on with them now? Because that's not available. Everything is shut down. How can I help the seniors? So somewhere like, I don't know, a few days later, something inspired me and said, why don't you do a fundraiser, raise enough money and send it to the small towns at least you'll have given them something. So I did. I set up this fundraiser. So I raised about $2,000. That was my intention. And when I put it out there, it raised money so quickly until we got to 2000 like within three days. And so something said, do more. So then I went to 2500 And it, it just it started coming so quickly. It's just like, do more. So I went to three. Every time I raised the umbrella, it filled up very quickly. So within two months, we raised over $10,000. And the only reason it stopped raising was because Facebook has a limit to how long you can stay on those uh, fundraisers on their site. So it cut it off. 
So I said, okay, then what am I going to do? So I, I took the $2,000 and sent it there to the town. I had what I call community advocates for four different small towns. And I sent them a check and told them to buy what they needed. And they did. They bought food and toiletries and water and even paid some of their medical bills at the pharmacy. So it's like, okay, I'm thinking I've done it. I'm finished out of here. But what happened was something wouldn't let me go. It said, no, you can do more, more. Okay. So I said, okay, we do have this additional funds. Why don't I put together a drive-through distribution? So my husband and I were in a van because I do live in Texas and we drove, we packed this van full of everything we thought they could possibly have or get. And we took it down there to them all the way from Texas. And we did a drive-through distribution at my parents' home down in Sicily Island. People drove through and picked it up. And I got to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long time. But it just felt good to give back to my old community. And they were very thankful, humbled, and grateful for that. So then after that, it's just like, okay, do I stop here or do I go further? As I spent time in contemplation, it says, you know, go a little further, do a little bit more. I said, well, I could do more if I could get more. So what I did, I called the USDA Washington, D.C. And I said, I left a message because nobody answered the phone. Someone called me back later that day and said, this is Jane Doe from Washington, D.C. Can I speak with Linda Fortenberry? And I said, sure. She says, do you have a few minutes? I said, for Washington, I have an hour. So she says, well, okay, we got your phone call. We'd like to know what's going on and how can we help you? So I told her, I said, listen, I come from a very small town in rural Louisiana. And there is no food down there for these people. I do not understand how Washington, D.C., USDA can be serving all the communities, but not serving these small communities who really need it the most. It wasn't like they even had a church that was able to do anything for them because of the poverty. So she says, OK, well, I'm going to send you a list of um, vendors that you can reach out to in your area. And then these and then you can see what they can do to help you to get food down there. So she did, and I saw, I called a couple of the vendors, and one did call me back, CityServe, that was the name of the organization. They called me back and asked me what I needed, where I was at. So I told them, and they said, Ms. Mary, how many trucks do you need, or how many trucks can you take per week? <laughs> and I said, per week? How many trucks? I said, only one. I only want to do this one time. Because number one, I don't live there, so I'm going to have to drive there and get to, to get there to do this. And I'm going to have to pull together people volunteers to get it done as well so she says well okay then we'll bring you one truck and we set the date up and things of that nature and she told me what I needed and what I was going to have to do so when she sent me the list of the things I was going to need to do I contacted my board director I said we're going to need a truck and we're going to need a, a dolly and it's like oh my god and then when I found out they weren't even going to deliver to the parish that I need to deliver it in they weren't even on the list so I'm like, wow, well, how am I going to get this food? I got a truckload of food coming. I got 1,400 boxes of food. How am I going to get this food to these people? And I recall that there was a gentleman I used to work with when I was doing some other work in the area. And I called him and I said, Mr. Nash, I have an opportunity to bring food down there, but I don't have a truck and uh, they won't even deliver it to our parish. They stop at your parish, which was Richland Parish. I said, so... Would it be possible if I could have a truck delivered to your resource center there? 
He said, yes. I said, would you like to have some of this food? I said, because there's not that many people that live in Sicily Island. And I said, so I don't know what I would do with 1,400 boxes of food. So he said, sure. He said, I'll take about 100 boxes. I said, fine. So then I had another associate and I told her about it. I said, do you have anybody else that might be able to take some of this food? She said, yes. So I spoke with them. It was another church in another parish. And they said, we'll take 250. I said, great. So that uh, so we got the truck down there. And I, and, and someone said, I said, look, we, we have to rent a truck. We went through this whole process of trying to rent a truck to take the food to the next town. It was about 30 miles away because the delivery stopped in what they call Richland Parish. Catahoula Parish, which is the parish I was trying to represent, and Franklin Parish were not even on the map. So it's just like, oh my God. I said, that's okay. We're not gonna, we're not gonna let them stop us from making this happen. We're gonna make this happen. Now, what I did, I had to forge a little line and say, hey, I'll take it over in Richland Parish. I'll distribute there. And so I said, not so we knew we was picking up, we were gonna have a truck pick it up to take it over to Franklin Parish and actually do the distribution of the church over there. So that's what we did, and that's what we was able to do, and we just had a ball. We were able, with that one distribution, to serve four parishes, and it was like we served from like we served from Ravel, Louisiana, all the way down to Sicily Island, Louisiana. So we served five towns. So it was Ravel, Mangum, Winsboro, Gilbert, Wisner, and Sicily Island. So I guess six. We served six pounds with that food that we got at that time. It's like, it felt good. It just felt good. The football teams from both towns came out to help us unload those boxes and get them on the other trucks. And then they came out to help us to deliver the food. I remember seeing cars wrapped around the churches on, there was a church on both sides of the street. Cars was wrapped around the church, all the way around the church on both sides in the parking lot of the other church. And all the way up and down Highway 425, traffic was backed up for miles because we was out there doing that distribution that day. And as I said, it did feel good and the people just appreciated it so much because these were the forgotten people during the pandemic. And so what I did, I began to go to the meetings. There was a monthly meeting for beginning farmers and ranchers committee, USDA. They were having monthly meetings, you know, and so I said I started going to their meetings to find out what they were doing and how I could get them to do more for the forgotten cities. Because let me tell you something: the further south you are, the greater chance that your town or city will be forgotten by the USDA or by the U.S. government, because they don't know these small towns exist. We weren't even on the map, so. I realized that. And so by going to this meeting where I was voicing my concerns about those people of those small towns and how they had been left completely out of this food distribution. The food distribution was going on all across the country. They were distributing millions of boxes of food from Pennsylvania to Florida to uh, New York. And they were doing this daily. And all we was trying to do was to get a truck to come at least once a month during the pandemic so we could make sure people got food. Because as I said, everybody was locked down. You couldn't get out. You couldn't go out. So after being involved in their monthly trainings, I decided we needed to do more. And I began to just surf. As a matter of fact, I'm, in, I'm, I'm like, I don't even know how this happened, but I guess because of Facebook's algorithms and then paying attention to what you're doing, sometimes they'll suggest groups for you. And what they did for me, they suggested I join this group. And it was called a black, it was a black forum group. 
And there was like 200,000. At that time, it was like 100,000 members in there. And it was growing every day. It was growing and growing and growing. What I noticed during the time that I was there was that what they had as a format was simply where you come on and say, hey, I've grown some greens or I got me some cows or I just purchased a farm. It was just coming to show people what they had accomplished. But what I saw was not going to happening. There was no how to. Because I'm thinking, that's great. That's great. That's great. But how did you get here? I didn't see a process. So one night, uh, one morning, 4 a.m., something inspired me to start a group that would help people understand the process, meaning from beginning to end, if you are a beginning former rancher or veteran, and if you're interested in farming, let me show you how. Let me walk you through the process from step one, how to get started. So I just threw it up there and said, like, okay, well, cool. When I looked up, it was very shortly within a week or so, there were 1,500 members, because I call them members. They join, it's not like they have to pay a fee, but they join to get the information that we can access through and from USDA and the trainings. So 1,500, it grew so fast, it was just like, oh my God. And so, and we started November of last year. And the membership grew so quickly. And then I looked up, there was more people coming, thousands upon thousands of people coming. So I knew I needed to create a format that was going to be formidable and one that would also be uh, instrumental in teaching and outreach and training and answering and fielding questions and finding out what people needed individually and what they needed collectively. So that is how the group got started. And it's taken on a life of its own as embodied other administrators who come out to help us and to support us. But the work that we have um, set before us is so great and so enormous. And also the training, teaching, and outreach you are doing is so necessary because we get the response and the feedback from the members of many of them who did not know anything about the USDA programs or how to access them. And so not only do we teach, we bring USDA to them. And we set them down in front of them and they can ask their questions themselves as opposed to asking me as a third party. And there may be certain things that I don't know or don't understand or don't have access to. So we've been able to bring them front and center week in, week out and have the different trainings that they need and to have them to get their questions answered directly from the source as opposed to a second source. And then when they can't get their questions answered there, we make sure that we give them other outside sources they can talk to and contact in order to get their answers met. Because our goal for them is that they can be successful in their farming endeavor. And what I found out is that we have a lot of people who wants to go back to farming. And I was encouraging them because I knew that we were having a food shortage, which is something that has been expressed, but not expressed nearly enough. There's a food shortage going on and it's only going to get worse. And the USDA is encouraging us to go back to farming the way we used to farm, our little patches we used to call them, our little gardens and things of that nature. And those who want to do more, there are programs and resources for them to do more as well. But that is how we got started as a group. And currently we're 8,300 member strong, growing every day and continuing to look for best practices, trainings, information. And I found out in the beginning that there was so much that they needed that I definitely would have to put together a good, concise uh, platform. And so therefore, in the beginning, I started doing all the teaching myself based on my background in finance and 
insurance and things of that nature, things I knew that they would need in a business, teaching how to write business plans and things and things like that. And then I decided, you know what, I need to bring in other resources, bring in other specialists who could come in and, and share with them the things that they need. So that's how we got started. And here we are now, almost one year old. And, and it's like, wow, it's been, a, it's been a journey and adventure, but it's been enjoyable. And if you can just please share with us the name of your Facebook group. Farmers, Farmers, Farmers and Finances. Great. And when you mentioned training, I think you just recently had a very successful training on hemp. Could you just tell us a little bit about what that was about and some of the, some of the information that was shared with your audience? Yes. We were able to reach out to Dr. Hodges out of the Southern University Ag Center and to have her to come over and to talk to our group about hemp and how to grow hemp and the different things you need to know about growing hemp, the difference between marijuana and hemp, and what uh, your government regulations are regarding hemp as a business. And the thing of it is, is that each state has different regulations. So that's one of the things that she imparted to us was to find out what your state specifically says about hemp and about marijuana. One of the things I learned and was very excited about was the many uses of hemp. I found out that, I mean, hemp is no longer just used for, let's say, ropes and ties and things of that nature. It's being used in many different industries. And it's like, wow, this thing is growing. And also I read that it's going to be growing at 16% annually for the next seven to eight years. So now it's a really good time to get involved in hemp and in the growth of hemp. But again, make sure you know what your state licensing and regulations are for the production of hemp. Also, understand the difference between hemp and marijuana because there's a very fine line. And if you cross that line of 0.3, you're not going to be growing marijuana, which is which is or may be illegal in your state. You have to find out if it is or if it isn't. And you also need to be aware of how you put these plants together in your gardens, let's say. And whether you're going to grow these things in the high tunnels is what we call them, or if you're just going to grow them outside. So it's indoor, outdoor growth. There's different procedures and things that you need to be aware of. There's so much to learn in the industry. But I know this, these guys were so excited to get this information. Some of these individuals are actually uh, were producing hemp themselves and have just started it. So having Dr. Hodges come in and share with them what they need to look at, what they need to do, and how to manage and care for these crops really help them. It's going to benefit them long-term as well. And I was really fortunate to get a seat in the training. I mean, it was almost like, you know, you got to get there first come first serve. And I know there was an overwhelming response to it, but even as it relates to the difference between a female and a male plant, how to identify it, you know, growing in ground versus out of ground, just so many things that I hadn't even thought about. So, I mean, I can definitely see the value that you're adding, um, not just to your community, but to the public as whole, because you you actually offer this training to people outside of your Facebook community as well through Eventbrite and other uh, platforms, correct? Yes. As a matter of fact, based on the uh, analytics that were done on it, we were able to serve. What I like about these different programs is that uh, they always do the analytics on your uh, members and those who sign up and join your program. So what they were able to do, they were able to actually send me the analytics, which says that we were able to serve so many states in the United States, and they give you they give you your top cities and states where these people are coming from, the top three, and then they also let you know how many countries you serve. So we were actually able to serve people in Africa 
and in Asia that joined that group that night. So we are, what I'm realizing is that this little group, this little forming and finance group is reaching worldwide. Uh, it's the one thing is we break down our numbers, even on Facebook, our analytics show us that we are serving some of the top, they give us the top 10 countries that we're serving. We're, we're all the way over in different parts of Africa and countries I haven't even heard of, but they're here participating in this group. So we have a far reaching outreach currently. And it's information like that, that people need to stay on the cutting edge of the industry. That's what we intend to bring to them. That's what we intend to provide for them as well. Not only that class that was that that has been helpful, helping them to get a to uh, get a better understanding of that industry, but also the class that for me uh, that really impacted me the most in the last eleven months was the class on estate planning and finances for farmers and families. That class really was scintillating to a lot of our members because I got a lot of feedback from them about the things they did not know, even if we went to something like a deed and understanding how deeds, how, how to uh, understand the different types of deeds and things like that, understanding their trusts and uh, wills and things like that. So that Attorney Prince was a very, very extraordinary class for four weeks. Everybody was showing up intense on the edge of their seat looking for what's next. And I got a lot of good feedback about those about that class as well. Well, listen, you were doing awesome things for your personal Facebook community and for the, the world as a whole, if you're interested in farming. What would you tell someone who was interested in getting into farming? What advice would you give someone starting out? If you are a beginner, I would encourage you to first sit down and make a plan. You need to know what it is that you want to do because sometimes people come to us and say, I want to get started, but I don't have land. That's that. That's okay. I want to get started, but I don't have the finances. That's okay too. But what do you want to start doing? What do you want to do? Here's the one thing that I can appreciate about farming that previously wasn't necessarily the truth in relationship to USDA and their program, USDA and their programs. Currently, you can have one-tenth of an acre and be considered a farmer. You're an urban farmer. Also, if you grow things on your patio, if you're a person who like plants, let's say, but you grow peppers and things that you can grow in a bucket, potatoes, things of that nature. If you grow enough items whereby if you sold them to the market, you were able to sell a thousand dollar worth of goods, you are considered a firm, a farmer. You would fall under the new term called urban farmer. And you would qualify for USDA programs and services, whether it be grants or loans, you'd be eligible to apply for them. So they have changed the definition of farming and farmers in order to get more people involved in the process. We have to look at it like this. In any industry, when there begins to be a decline in those who are participating in the industry, if you don't begin to fill those positions, the industry will die out. Where farming is such an industry at this time, we have a lot of quote unquote old farmers and they're dying out and they are no longer going to be farming in the next 20 years. So USDA's mission now is to bring more young people or middle aged people or people in general back into farming. And they are doing that by setting up these special programs that people can get involved in in order to access the, if it's purchasing land, there's assistance for that. If it's 
getting loans or grants, you may be eligible for that. You just have to follow the eligibility. So I encourage anyone who's truly interested to get involved, get on board, and you can join us at Farming and Farmers and Finances on our Facebook page as well. And we, t- we, we definitely have a class at least once every two to three months for beginning foremost ranchers and veterans, because not just foremost, veterans as well. And I highlight veterans because there is a spe- special niche for veterans in farming, and the USDA offers special services and programs. And just as veterans take a high priority in any other government program, they take a high priority in farming as well when it comes to their resources. So I encourage you to first start with a plan. What would your farm look like? And understand it doesn't have to be 20 acres. It doesn't have to be two acres. It needs only be one-tenth of an acre, which could be your backyard. I work in my backyard. (laughs) And it's about 10,000 square feet. So that's enough to be a farmer if I chose to be a farmer. Well, Mrs. Fortenberry, thank you again for being here with us and just sharing the wealth of knowledge that you have about farming and resources available to established and beginning farmers. Well, you're so welcome. And I was happy, I'm was i happy to be here. Well, listen, this has been another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Till next time, thank you. Do you want to start your own business? Confused about where to begin? Not sure if you can do this? I'm glad you made your way here. Cut through the confusion. I invite you to join in on the five-day Play Big Faster Challenge. You'll get step-by-step guidance on how to start and scale your dream business faster. Five days perfectly structured. Build the business you've always dreamed of without spending tons of money and hiring consultants or a lot of staff. Join the challenge today at www.playbigfaster.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. I already subscribed. I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. And remember to play big faster.